Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager. Today on 30 Minutes, we continue with excerpts from Indigenous Authors Speak, a group of internationally and locally renowned voices who spoke in support of the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders, or Alianza Indígena Sin Fronteras. The Indigenous Alliance Without Borders is an intertribal advocacy and human rights community organization created in the San Javier district of the Tohono O'odham Nations Territory in 1997 to be the international voice for traditional southern borderlands indigenous peoples and to carry out diverse activities designed to contribute to the promotion, respect, and protection of indigenous rights. In May 2012, indigenous authors presented their work to a full house at the Unitarian Universalist Church. This is part two of a multi-part series. 30 Minutes will present more of Indigenous Authors Speak next week. Up first on 30 Minutes, renowned writer Simon Ortiz, who is also Arizona State University Regents Professor of English, presents Kenny Dyer-Redner. All right. Thank you very much uh, for your very kind and rapt attention. Words and stories are our lives. And I would like to especially say that uh, you know, the community doesn't just community itself, that is, uh, perpetuate itself, but it's because really of connections that people make between each other through what they say, through what we say to one another. And when we are able to talk or laugh or even argue or uh, use the language that we know, whether it's English or Spanish or Otam or Akome or Diné or Cherokee or Martian, whatever, you know, it works. So with that in mind, I want to introduce our next uh, uh, presenter. Our next presenter is Kenny Dyer Redner, who is a Paiute Shoshone tribal member, who is a writer of fiction and poetry, but uh, he will do a fiction uh, story tonight. He has been living in uh, uh, Phoenix for the past uh, two years. A former collegiate boxer. I mean, we have had uh, Natalie, who is a former basketball uh, pro in Europe. So we might as well have a boxer, a collegiate, collegiate boxer. He has now turned his skills and talents to writing, which he is totally committed to. With an English degree from the University of Nevada in Reno, Kenny is determined to develop into the writer he believes he is capable of being. And he is very much. So please, let's welcome Kenny Dyer Redner tonight. Thanks, Simon. Um, I just want to say that I'm honored and humbled to be included in this group of writers. I'm thoroughly impressed with everybody that's read tonight. So um, thank you for uh, having me here. Um, thank you, Simon, for inviting me. Um, I have a... Oh, okay, that's better. <coughs> All right, I have, a, I have a short story here. It's um, 
It's called Dinner in a Show. Starts with the epigraph from Crazy Horse. We do not want your civilization. We would live as our fathers did and their fathers before them. Dinner in a Show. Saturday. Today's no different. Grandpa shirked his ranching duties again. He's been gone for hours. He's at the Overland Hotel Bar and Grill with his cronies. We're at the house, me, my brother Raymond and my grandma. It's time for dinner. The phone rings. Grandma, busy in the kitchen, wipes her hands on her red apron, sighs and picks up the receiver. Hello, she says. Yeah, she says. Okay, she says. She takes a deep breath, rests her hand on her hips, her eyes closed. She stood but four foot eleven. Me and Raymond respect and fear her wooden spoon because it can leave welts on our backsides. She turns, looks at the food on the stove and lifts the apron over her short, light brown hair. She stirs the spaghetti sauce with her wooden spoon. She knows how to discipline and nourish us with her instruments. She says, I gotta go, boys. She says, I have to go get Grandpa. She says, don't eat yet, I'll be back soon. We sit on the tile floor in the living room, listen to her instructions. If our father was around, perhaps we would listen to his instruction, but he's gone. At school, I tell my teachers that my father is a lawyer, that he could have played pro ball with Bill Walton and the Portland Trailblazers, that he lives on the res in Oglala, South Dakota. But I'm a kid, and I don't know I don't know where my father is or what he's doing. I only know that my father is gone. I only know that at one time he was in the movement and rubbed elbows with Dennis Banks, Russell Means, and Leonard Peltier. But those are just names to me. Maybe Raymond knows more. He's a year older than me, but he cries whenever our father visits and then leaves. I never cry. Okay, we tell Grandma. She drives away. It's 15 miles to town from our res, 30 miles round trip. It could take a lifetime to leave and drive back. Grandma can make the trip in 45 minutes toting her alcoholic husband in the passenger seat. She does it every weekend. We're still waiting for our father. The sun is getting heavy in the west and the shadows are long. Me and Raymond stand outside on the porch and look at our shadows those dark figures and imagine how tall we'll be when we grow up. I'm gonna be six foot six, I say, like Michael Jordan. Raymond flexes his biceps, says, I'm gonna be stronger than Hulk Hogan. I'm gonna body slam Andre the Giant. We see headlights coming down the dirt road. We run in the house and fight for grandpa's spot at the head of the table. We push and shove. We pull hair, bite flesh and growl. But when we see Grandpa staggering up to the door, we move to our seats, still eyeing each other like hungry wolf pups. <clears throat> Grandma comes in first, a scowl on her face, and silent as a painting. She moves around the kitchen amidst the sound of plates clinking. Every weekend, it's the same scene. Grandpa sways in alcoholic poise, leans his full weight against the doorframe. His hat is cockeyed. His smile is tilted the same way. His eyes are bloodshot and the dark skin of his face is red. It looks like it would burn you if you touched it. Well, Grandpa says, smiling, 
What's to eat? I don't know, I say. Though I do, it's spaghetti with French bread and salad with French dressing. Grandpa smiles, takes a deep breath, and staggers to his seat. Grandma, draped in her apron again, serves Grandpa first, then Raymond, then me. We eat, the three of us, ravenous. I always eat meat, nothing but meat. Raymond gets mad at me, orders to eat my salad. I look at him. Well, Grandpa barks, what do you think, Jimmo? I shrug my shoulders. I don't know, I say. Did you play basketball, he asks. Yeah, I say. He leans in, eyes me close, says, how many points did you score? I look away, unable to hold his gaze. A hundred, I say, unsure how many baskets I had made shooting around by myself. A hundred? Well, I'll be a son of a bitch. We finish eating. Grandpa slides his boots off, pushing on the hill with his opposite foot. I watch as he struggles to do this, his head lolling back and forth, rocking as his foot slips over and over again. He finally gets his boots off. He sits at the table like that, eyes closed. There's food on his face, his shirt, and left all around his plate and placemat. Grandma busies herself with cleaning up. When she's done, she says, you boys get ready for bed. She says, put on your pajamas. She says, brush your teeth. Then she disappears into the bedroom. We get ready for bed. When I go to the living room, Raymond's already there, standing with a pair of boxing gloves and a smile similar to Grandpa's. Crooked. We put the gloves on, pull them on with our teeth. We're going to fight to try to beat the other to show, how gra to show Grandpa how tough we are. We circle, our hands up, fists and teeth clenched. We jump in and out, throwing punches. There is no footwork, no twisting of the torso, no snapping punches. There is no technique. We are mad. You better keep your hands up, Jimmo. He's gonna get you. We rush in, plant our feet, close our eyes, pull our heads back and throw haymakers, swinging for the knockout in the first round. I can feel the thuds as I get hit on the side of my head, my chin, my throat. And then like that, Raymond throws a stray wild punch from deep within, and in it he carries all his pain, all his anger and fury. He puts it into his fist and slams it against the side of my head. I feel the thud and see the flash of light. I told you, Grandpa says, almost killed the poor bastard. I cry hold my head in my hands. Raymond, always thirsty for more, taunts me. Come on, Jimmo, that didn't hurt. Why are you crying? You're a crybaby. Come on, I'll only use my right hand. But I don't want any more. I take my gloves off, wipe the tears from my cheeks, my eyes. Raymond, beaming with pride, takes his shirt off, shadow boxes and flexes his biceps in the window's reflection. When I see this, I grow with rage, peel off my shirt, and start flexing too. We push and shove to see our reflections. Raymond is all bulk. He's a big bruiser. He threatens me. I'll tie you in a knot. Me, I'm tall and skinny. I'm a wet fish. Grandpa's voice roars like a lion. You think you're tough? We turn, look at Grandpa sitting at the table, a king on his throne. 
Grandpa wipes his face with the back of his gnarled hand. He motions us over. Grandpa looks us up and down, measures our stature, then slams his elbow on the table. We shudder at the sound. You think you're tough, Grandpa challenges. Raymond is first. He sits down to arm wrestle Grandpa. Grandpa tells Raymond, go. I see Raymond struggle against Grandpa's grip. I see Grandpa's forearm muscle rippling under his dark skin. When it's my turn, Grandpa does the same thing. I feel his rough, callous hands hardened from a different time. He squeezes my hand in his until it hurts. I try not to let anyone see my pain. I force it down, deep down where only I know about it. We try again and again, but we are defeated. Lying in the dark, I tell Raymond, I couldn't even move his arm. Me neither, he says. He says, one day, I'm going to beat Grandpa at arm wrestling. I want to punch him for saying that, but I understand. I think one day I will beat you. We talk about Grandpa's strength. You've been listening we to Indigenous Authors Speak, a presentation men. to benefit Indigenous Alliance Without Borders, held in May 2012 at the Unitarian Universalist Church. We just heard from Kenny Dyer Redner. Up next on 30 Minutes, renowned writer Simon Ortiz presents author Laura Tohi. Stories of our lives are what keeps our lives meaningful. And I think that it's important always to not only listen, but to honor the tradition of storytelling, because that's where I think all people faced with challenges are able to meet the, uh, the, the, the challenge uh, that life uh, presents to us. Next on our, on our reading tonight, uh, the benefit reading for the uh, Alianza uh, Indígena Sin Fronteras is Laura Tohi. Laura is a Diné poet and professor with distinction at ASU as well who has published uh, several outstanding and notable works, including No Parole Today, a book that focuses on Indian boarding school, for which she was recognized as the Wordcraft uh, Writer of the Year in 1999, and Tsei, Deep in the Rock, a Glyph Award winner a major, which is a major lyrical work of poetry that established her as an outstanding poet. Among her varied admired works uh, is a libretto uh, that, uh, that is entitled Enemy Slayer, a Navajo oratorio premiered and performed by the Phoenix Symphony in Phoenix in 2008. So, with those words of introduction, I want us to greet and welcome Laura Tohi. glad to be a part of this event in which we're coming together as people 
not divided by borders, but united by story and by our languages and by our history and by what we believe in, the values that we hold, family, uh, community, our kin. So I want to first of all I'll just introduce myself to you because I know there are some uh, Dine people in the audience. Shalara Tohi and Ishet Sena Bilinchle, Torej Aitni Bashishin, Johanna Etwatlana Dashiche Doma Idesh Gijni Dashanala, Sasa Anna Walyere Da Yisi Nasha. I am Sleepy Rock People Clan, born for Bitterwater Clan, and my maternal grandfather clan are the Sun Clan people of Laguna Pueblo and my paternal grandfather clan are the uh, Coyote Pass people. My family is originally from uh, Lupton, Arizona. And I want to first of all start out from just reading a couple of poems from this book called No Parole Today. And uh, there's on the cover are these people, many of the students who went to these Indian schools, and some of you may have been to uh, boarding schools. And uh, the cover, I call it my Where's Waldo picture. And uh, if you have a book, if you want to look at this er later on and you want to try to find me, I'll give you $5. <laughs> and so far, only one person has ever won that prize. Okay, so I was at the uh, Albuquerque Indian School for several years, and this po these poems are written from a young girl's perspective. This first one is called Men and Skin Bracer, and I think some of you have uh, know what men in skin bracer is. It's a cologne. I don't know if they still make it, but they used to uh, make it when I was growing up and the boys at the Indian school would slap that on their faces, you know, when we'd have like a little uh, dance in the gymnasium. So this is where that takes place. Men in skin bracer. Having a boyfriend meant holding hands at the movies in the dark auditorium. Someone besides your roommate to dance with. And on Wednesday evenings, having your name announced over the intercom because he had walked across that brown grassy lot just to see you. And you like standing next to him until you casually found each other's hands and how strong the bones felt. Then you re might remember what your mother said about dropping him like a hot potato if he turned out to be your clan relative, but you don't bring it up. His name was Pierce and we worked kitchen detail. I wasn't homely and I wasn't built like some of the others. I matured late. She looked smart was what they said. What did they know? I was in culture shock for four years at the white public school and never made honorable mention. Nobody was interested, so I stopped trying. Anyway, Pierce asked me to dance Friday night Mostly, we danced stomp, scooping and twirling to the Wingate Valley Boys, the Zuni Midnighters, the Fenders. You know, heavy on the bass, ratchetgen, ratchetgen. So there I was on the floor, nervous because it's my first time with a guy. Okay, I'm ready to show off my stuff, I thought. All those months practicing with Mary Jean was paying off. We went round and round. He led me to the edge of the dance floor under the basketball hoop. And all evening, I smelled Menon's skin bracer. <laughs> well, we danced a few more times. And afterwards, Pierce walked me back to the dorm. Later, I found out he'd left a trail of broken hearts. 
That evening, the smell of Menon Skin Bracer lingered long on my hands. And even now, when I'm in the grocery store, in the cosmetic department, I'll open a bottle of Menon Skin Bracer and take a whiff of my first dance at the Indian School gym. And I want to read this one too. It's about uh, when we, I lived at the uh, Indian School campus, but I went to school at a public school, a very large public school, and sometimes we'd stay after school and call the uh, a dorm attendants to come pick us up, and we always got picked up in this gray government car that said property of U.S. government on the, on the, on the car. Sometimes those Pueblo men can sure be coyotes. Like the time Rena and I stayed late after school, we telephoned the Indian school to send someone to pick us up. This time, Mr. Coyote drove up in the gray G car, the government car, that's what we called it. And we had to call the men Mr. and the women Mrs. But we students had other names for them because, you know, the Navajos easily make up names for people. So Rena and I got in the back. We were secretly pleased because we had the best-looking Pueblo man chauffeuring us. At first, we sat quietly, catching glimpses of his dark eyes in the rearview mirror. We had just pulled on to Central when one of us said, this man is very handsome. I agree. Then we were making all kinds of comments about him in our Navajo language, our enthusiasm running away with us, saying those things adolescent girls say. I wonder if he's married. Of course, these handsome men always have a woman. How old do you think he is? Do you think he has children? And on and on. We did this all the way back to the Indian school, not ever thinking he might understand us until we got back. He said, thank you, girls. <laughs> As we half stumbled out of the car, our homework dropping on the sidewalk, that was a time a Pueblo Coyote chauffeured us in the G car. <laughs> and like uh, many tribes in this country uh, who have been relocated, my ancestors were one of the tribes that were relocated from uh, the land that's within the four sacred mountains, each of the mountains represents a cardinal direction, and it's in that four, uh, within that four sacred mountain areas where the Navajo people uh, lived. And in 1864, the Navajo people were forced out of that homeland to Fort Sumner, uh, which is uh, in south central New Mexico. So this is called uh, Refugees in Our Own Land. The night is busy with the growth of stars. 
above us, peaceful. Shiyaj, my son, fusses in his cradleboard. The protective rainbow shaped by his father arches over his face. In the dark sand below, monster slayer's arch enemy rises again to pull us off this rock where we've taken refuge since winter's approach. The wind stops. Clouds drift across the moon. We pull water silently from below near the soldier's feet. Silence is our cover. I pull my son close and place my hand on my baby's cheek to quiet him. Shh, hush, baby, my beloved, hush. With my finger, I circle the pulse just above his ears. He makes tiny lapping sounds with his mouth and turns toward my breast for the comfort of my milk. But my breast is a sieve from which the enemy drinks. I am dry. These hands mix bread dough for the evening meal, planted corn and gathered pollen from the tender shoots. These hands held my husband's kisses and caressed my baby's soft bones as he grew inside me. We sailed the river that led us to the ocean of all beginnings. The night cries like an owl. My beloved son's eyes are full of stars, a drowning breath in his throat. Take this map of rainbows and fly, fly, child. That was author Laura Tohi, one of the many authors who spoke at Indigenous Authors Speak in a benefit for Indigenous Alliance Without Borders. This has been part two of a multi-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. This event was originally recorded in May 2012 and aired in June 2012. Recent episodes can be found on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.